It's just after 5 o'clock, and you're tuned to KZMU Moab Community Radio. I'm Molly Marcello, your host of tonight's This Week in Moab. In this next hour, we have a conversation with Mexican-American writer, educator, and outdoors person, David Robles. He contributes to Melanin Basecamp, a platform elevating the voices of people of color in the world of outdoor recreation. We are trying to root ourselves in these spaces and, and say, hey, we belong here too, right? We belong on this mountain, we belong in this river, we belong on these lakes. Continually, the, the discourse is that we don't, like that's that's what's happening and, and we need to keep fighting that and, and show that we have a presence in these spaces. We've always had a presence in these spaces. Tonight, we speak with Robles about deconstructing racism in the outdoors. We also learn more about an article he wrote for Melanin Basecamp called Five Ways to Build a More Racially Inclusive Hiking Community. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is David Robles, and I am a writer for Melanin Basecamp. Uh, Melanin Basecamp is a blog, uh, Instagram uh, platform uh, wave that we have started as uh, athletes, recreationalists, and people of color. Uh, we utilize it to elevate uh, voices. We use it to elevate and bring forth issues within the world of outdoor recreation um, and really give it this uh, maximized effort to uh, make ourselves relevant in spaces where we oftentimes feel irrelevant. Um, as a professional, um, so by trade, I am an educator. Um, I teach in a criminology and uh, criminal justice department uh, here in Salt Lake City. Um, I also um, recreationally mountain bike, uh, trail run, uh, hike, backpack, spend a lot of times outdoors with my family and our dog. Um, and yeah, that's a little bit about myself. How neat. So how did you get in, you know, how did you get involved with Mullen and Basecamp? Yeah, so um, it, it was in an interesting way that I don't necessarily think I can even define right now. <laughs> uh, but it's almost those, those, those experiences where you're like, I don't know how this happened. Sure, I'm just, sure. I've just started doing this. Right. Um, but but I um, ironically ended up housing um, the uh, CEO and our, our, our chief editor, uh, Danielle, um, and, and I ended up housing her uh, once upon a time for one of the outdoor recreation expos here in Salt Lake City. Um, the, it was actually the outdoor retailer. So, oh, so that's no longer. Yeah, no longer, <laughs> no longer an experience here in Utah. Right. Um, so I, I believe it was actually the last one here. And uh, she was involved with um, a few members of Latino Outdoors and ended up uh, somehow just at my house where I was housing various uh, people who were attending mostly athletes and, and bloggers and writers um, who were part of this movement pushing forward and making ourselves relevant as I spoke about. And um, we connected that day. Uh, we uh, added each other on social media and things kind of just kicked off from there. I think she uh, spotted my Instagram posts and kind of my writing there. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up doing a 
um, some freelance work for REI, uh, where I met uh, various of the writers that currently write for her now. Um, and in that position, they kind of just naturally said, hey, we are going to absorb you and, and you are now you are now part of us. <laughs> um, so it, it was a very organic um, move. And, and, and yeah, it's one of those things that I'm like having to think about deeply on how I actually ended up sure. being a writer for them. So. Okay. So it seems almost like a natural thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, you mentioned this at the top, but you talked about, you know, mountain biking and being in the outdoors. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your outdoors background? Um, I know from reading a little bit about your bio that you're from Utah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, oh, there's so many pieces I can say here. Um, <laughs> I think, I think my fond love and appreciation, and, and I want to emphasize this word reconnection with the outdoors, okay. um, because I believe that so many of us are on this path of reconnecting uh, with the outdoors rather than simply connecting. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that comes down to like ancestral reconnecting as well. Um, for me, almost, almost in relation to Moab, I, I remember traveling through Moab um, and it's a place that, that inspires me, um, continually. And I remember traveling through Moab, um, on our way to a, for a, for a 52 hour drive to my mom and dad's, uh, towns in Mexico. And, and it was always part of the path, making our way through Moab, um, and, 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 and eventually ending up in Texas for a night and then staying there and then waking up and making our way to the <laughs> middle of Mexico. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember my dad always stopping in Moab and, and we would stop there and we would get out of the car. We would never enter any of the parks. My dad had no idea where to go. Uh, sure. but, but even just like the entrance of Moab and these, these, these iconic pieces of rock and, and, and landscapes, uh, my dad would just stop and just like appreciate it. And we would just like hang out, play on that sand hill that everyone runs down <laughs> and tries to reach to the top right before you cross the, the Colorado bridge. Um, and, and so we would, we would be in those spaces. And, and I feel like a lot of that um, is, is something that was consistent throughout my life. Not even just in this Moab example, my dad mm -hmm. was at the helm and is deeply within the catalyst of, of bringing us into the outdoors. And so I would say that can, that reconnection and that love and admiration and appreciation for the outdoors definitely was groomed by my dad in a very indirect way. He was never like, hey, we are recreationalists. He never said, he never threw a label on it. Um, almost, almost as hipster as it gets, I guess. Um, but he, uh, he definitely allowed for me to, 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 to grow in, that, in those spaces. And as I got older and started to gain more resources around myself and gain more capital, um, you know, I took it to the next level, right? I started to invest time in and, and money in gear and understanding this world of, of recreation and understanding this culture of recreation. Um, and so I started to immerse myself fully and, and um, you know, throughout the process, I feel that I've stayed true to my roots and I've continually tried to express that within these spaces. And for the longest time, I felt like I was in these 
uh, in this space where I had to assimilate and and fully become what it, what what it is now. And you know, through my writing and through reflection and through conversation with people in these spaces, I've come to realize that I can shape this and and make this my own, mm-hmm. and 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 almost reconnect it with what used to be and and what my ancestors uh, did and what family back in Mexico have done. And and that is play outside without a label on it. And that is be outside without a label on it. That is connect with with nature without a label on it and and make it a lifestyle. And I think that is the goal essentially of what I'm trying to get at. It's making me think of like, you know, in the outdoors community, people talk about different barriers to access. And you mentioned, you know, like, getting the gear or, you know, doing it. Like there's this sense of like doing the outdoors or being a recreationist in the right way, which is often, you know, the dominant culture is the white way. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, can you, can you talk about that? Like, you know, how did you come to this realization that actually like, you know how to be in the outdoors on this very like ancestral level and it doesn't have to look nor should it look like how the white culture is telling you it should. Yeah, um, just a side note, if I ever see a bumper sticker with the way to recreate is the, it, it, the right way is the white way, I'm, I know I'm in the wrong place and I better get out of there as fast as I can. So um, <laughs> um, definitely not, not gonna be comfortable in that space. Right, exactly. Um, but, but in regards to your question, um, I think there's many approaches and I think there's no, there's no blueprint for this, right? There's no, I like, even within my writing, I provide um, guidelines and recommendations for both people of color, allies and, and, and everything in between. And for me, I think personally, the goal for me is to just keep telling those stories. I think just elevating those stories and, and showcasing them. And I think companies, you know, who are at the, at the helm of creating this image, right? They're at the helm of creating this discourse of, of what this looks like, right? We live in such a capitalized Western world where, where that's unavoidable. Like we're, we're, we, can't, we can't strip ourselves from that. Um, plus the clothes is too expensive and probably too heavy to take off. Um, but, but we can't strip ourselves from that. Um, and so I think for me, it's, it, it comes back to this, um, this quote and, and I don't have the person who said it, but I heard it in a, in a group conversation, but, um, and all respects to the person who said this, um, sure. but, um, it was, it was, you know, these companies need to stop, uh, they, they need to prioritize using our uh, stories over our bodies and, and, mm-hmm. and, and elevating that. And I think companies are starting to shift and, and bring that forward. I think a lot of retailers um, and a lot of organizations are pushing that forward. And, and, you know, you see the imagery of that and the rhetoric of that being pushed forward. And, and you're starting to see that and you're like, oh, representation is here. There's people outdoors that look like me and that's great. But how much, are, are they taking the step further and, and actually elevating the stories of those individuals, 
right? Rather than just simply using their bodies. Like our bodies have been used already. Like, like, like our bodies have been used in the past um, to elevate white supremacy and white voices. Um, you know, it's at the, it's at the helm of, of where this country started. And so it might seem natural to, to the, to the cultural hegemony here to, to kind of push that forward. But the reality is, is until companies and organizations and these industries shift their mindset to say, you know what, we need to start elevating these voices and, and elevating them within their mission statement, elevating them within the where the, their practices, right? Elevating with them within their policies, right? Like this is really what's gonna create the shift, right? Like it's one thing to hire, I, 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 one little example is I was a high, a, a diversity hire. Um, I worked for an organization and I was a diversity hire and it is the, one of the most uncomfortable experiences I've had. And I've, I've been told some racist stuff in my, in my life before. Um, but, but it was a very uncomfortable experience. One that I'm sure many people of color experience and, 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 and it almost makes it feel like you're being used for your body. And, and, and they are um, simply just exploiting you for your body. And then that is, that is a very uncomfortable feeling mentally and emotionally and physically to go through. Um, and, and in those examples, you know, I, I, I wish there was a, a predominant white voice that could push forward and say, you know what? What are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on our projects? What are your thoughts on our mission? Like, how can we shift the dynamic and, and, and um, you know, dismantle the culture and, and break it down so that we feel comfortable, represented, and, and a part of this as well? Um, and I, I, I think that is, that is the goal, essentially, is, is to make this all happen. We need to stop using uh you know black indigenous and people of color bodies and we need to start prioritizing their voices do you think that you know outdoor companies and organizations are on the forefront of creating this change or like how can you work with it on an individual level or on a local level yeah um you know to coin my favorite writer and speaker and educator angela davis like like freedom is a constant struggle and i think uh, for 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 the industry, uh, the corporate industry, these issues become relevant when they are in the mainstream, uh, in the, on the mainstream conversations and 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 in the media, and it's being pushed forward and shoved down people's throats. Right, like this is where they can capitalize and be like, "This is our stance." Right, and it's always, it's always unfortunately after a. Uh, you know, a, a person of color has, has, has unfortunately been killed or uh, wrongfully convicted or un, some, some sort of unjust, injustice has happened. And, you know, it's great, you know, good job acknowledging that this is happening. But, you know, it's that consistency, right? Like freedom is a constant struggle, right? Like we need to continually uh, be fighting for it. We need to continually be talking about it. When, when people aren't dying, we need to keep talking about it. We need to keep reminding people about it and, and keep challenging that. And I think, I think that's where, you know, some companies do really well at, um, and they keep that, 
conversation going and they transform that conversation to action. And mm -hmm. that's beautiful. And, and that's what we want to see. But there's, I would say the strong majority of companies, you know, they're, they're attaching themselves to that PR and, 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 and we see that, like, we see that we're not blinded. And, and you have a, a, a group of people that may say like, oh, good on you. Like, you know, you, you, you support the cause, you're, you get it, but I'm like, do you really get it? Like, do you really get it? Or are you just following the discourse of the mainstream media or whatever is considered justice at the time. And, and, and let's talk about real justice. Let's talk about long-term justice. Let's talk about how this is a constant battle and, and, and how we need to keep pressure and, and we need to keep having these conversations so that they can transform to action. And one final note, like, you know, the reality is, is, is um, you know, these PR statements are simply statements you know they're you know they don't they don't mean anything until action is actually pushed forward yeah I wanted to segue off of that because um you know as someone who thinks a lot about um these subjects as a writer you know do you have any thoughts on how to better elevate um black indigenous people of color in actual like management decisions too um, conversations around public lands, specifically in Utah, like how these lands are used or who yes. gets access to them or how they're accessible. Do you have, I know that's such a broad question, but curious about that. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this steps into a very complicated world of, of, of social movements and, and one that I think many BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, and people of color would, will, will identify and say, yes, we are in support of that cause. But to elevate those voices past the entrenchment of systemic racism, just systemic oppression that exists is difficult. Like, um, I, I remember um, having a group and, and I won't identify who they are, but okay. having a group approach me and say, Hey, uh, would you mind speaking at this rally? And it was such an interesting, I, I, I stepped back and I was honored and I was like, Oh, this is great. But I stepped back and, and this, this rally had to deal with, um, with bears ears okay. and um, which we should be celebrating right now because of the, <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're back to some normalcy. Um, whatever that means to whoever. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, when they, when they approached me and asked me, it was a very interesting question for me because, you know, it was almost like that, 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 again, that use of bodies again. Right. And I think sometimes, um, these nonprofit organizations, these social movements see themselves as very, uh, virtuous in the, in the way they're approaching things and, and, and they, um, you know, have really good intentions and, and they do a lot of practice to ensure that their intentions are, are thought out and practical and uh, equitable. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I think I, I thought to myself where I'm at in my life and where my social capital is. And I said to myself, you know, it's interesting that I was asked to be part of this when I'm sure there's, you know, thousands of voices that are being directly impacted and, 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 and where are they? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, like we, they had some representatives there. Um, I ended up not speaking at this rally, 
um, just as an FYI, but okay. you know, th- there's thousands of voices, there's children, there's, there's um, families that are being impacted by these, by these decisions that are being made. And I'm like, why aren't, why aren't they being asked? Why aren't we talking about them? Right. And so, you know, th- th- that brought it, that brought it to the surface level of, of it can happen as much as it happens in, in the corporate industry, in the corporate world. And we look at them from, with such a, with such a pointy stick and poke at them, <laughs> okay. um, you know, in these, in these organizations that mean well, it happens there as well. And, and um, it's complicated. It's, it's a complicated uh, place to navigate and, I don't know if I have the best answer for that. Like it's, it's, it's a difficult one. It's, you know, we want to be sure that the people being impacted by these decisions, these land management decisions have their voice uh, projected and heard. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, when we look at these communities of color, a lot of the times they never had a voice in the first place. And they're still looking for their voice, right? They're still identifying what that voice is. Mm-hmm. And throughout my writing, I talk about kind of this idea of reconnection. And I believe that so many of us are on this path of reconnection. And, and you know, for, for white folks, it's so established, right? We're sta- like the white folks are established here. And so they can easily identify and say, this is where I stand, it's cut and dry. I'm right here, this is where the opposition is, I'm there. And, and for, for communities of color and many people of color, like it, it's a world that's still being navigated because we've never been in those spaces or we have little time in those spaces. We don't have those conversations that, you know, that the potential white folk parents have had with their, with their children about, about these spaces and what these lands mean and, and kind of the, the legal surroundings of these lands. In addition, there's a lot of trauma, right? There's a lot of trauma with these spaces, uh, particularly for those that are indigenous, like, um, you know, they were displaced and stripped from these lands. And, and, and that's not something easily talked about, right? Like, when, when we have this movement of like, hey, what does land management look like? Like, like indigenous communities and not speaking for them, but from reflecting upon conversations I've had with many communities, you know, m- much of the sentiment sometimes is, is, is bitterness and, and, and this trauma resurfaces, like, like, these people are at the helm of making the decisions of, of lands that meant that mean so much to these groups. And that's hard. It's a complicated world. It's a, it's a difficult world to, to navigate and, and make everyone on the justice spectrum of, of the, of the conversation satisfied because everyone kind of has their own perspective on justice when it comes down to those decisions. And um, you know, for white folks, it might mean, Hey, let's preserve it. And, create a few trail systems and, and, and use it for recreation. Whereas indigenous folks, it might mean, you know what, let's not touch it. You know, maybe it was ancestral land that, you know, they buried um, their ancestors and, and they're at the point where they're saying, how about we don't touch it? It's our graveyard. Like, let's, let's just leave it alone and, and keep it off limits to everyone. Okay. And so these, these conversations are difficult. They're hard. Yeah. Surprise. Not everyone, you know, has the same experience. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Can you uh, touch on any barriers that you see right now, specifically in Utah, um, when it comes to equitable outdoor access? Because um, I know that's a that's a big deal. You yeah, know, yeah. Which, which communities can access the outdoors and in what ways? Yeah, I think I think there's 
so I have two answers for this. One of them is a, a little bit more simpler than the other one, but uh, the first answer is it really depends on how we define this, right? Like how we, like, are we defining it from the world of, 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 you know, the Americanized Western world of recreation, or are we defining it as, you know, recreation for all, truly recreation for all. And, and, you know, I grew up in a setting where, um, you know, I'm, I'm Mexican American and I'm a first generation um, Mexican American here in the States. And, you know, my parents um, were undocumented immigrants for the majority of my life. Um, and, and the way we would get out, you know, that word get out, that phrase, mm-hmm. the way we would get out is we would go do uh, these family barbecues, right? These, they call them carne salas. And we would get out there and we'd be out on lakes or we would just go up to the mountains and like get together in a very collective and community oriented way. And that was our way of, of recreating, right? Like we'd be out there and we would just like venture off to the side and like collect rocks and, and, and look at the, look at the, the water flow from the Creek. And, and that was our way of recreating. And um, I, I do believe many, and this is oftentimes overlooked. I do believe many communities of color, um, do this. They participate in this. Yeah. However, it doesn't sell, right? It doesn't sell on the um, for for marketing and from the corporate industries, right? This this does this idea doesn't sell, right? It's not as extreme sport oriented. It's not as mm-hmm. exotic as 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 these. You know, you know, one thing to refer to is like these action cams, uh, and and what what sells there, right? Mm-hmm. And so. So this idea of like recreating is, is one thing to definitely consider about in this conversation. Um, the other answer, if we're looking at it from the lens of uh, the way the predominant culture views recreation here is um, there's first of all, cultural barriers. Um, the culture that exists within uh, the dominant recreation world is not aligned with many uh, people of color's culture. And it conflicts heavily. Um, there's a lot of uh, racist roots attached there. Um, there's a lot of jargon and terminology that doesn't appeal to uh, to people of color. Uh, one example is the word "beaner," right? Like we, we like as climbers, um, it's a it's a common phrase thrown around. Um, but for me, like that was that was something that was thrown at me often as a kid, like um, growing up here in Utah as, as a racial slur. Like I was, a, I was a beaner, right? Like, um, so terminology and language is important and, and that intersects heavily with culture. Um, the other thing attached to culture is the, uh, you know, the, 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 the displacement of resources and, and who grows up learning certain things, right? Like, um, one thing we're seeing here in the state of Utah and, and all throughout, I would say, is these increases of uh, mountain bike teams in the high school level. Right. And, and we have to ask ourselves like, where, where are these mountain bike teams starting, right? And, and you look around and it's the schools with resources, the schools with money, um, you know, the schools that have predominantly white students. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that, that is a sport that I hold very close to uh, my interaction with the outdoors. And, you know, I, I, I could, I could, imagine that so many people of color would enjoy it and, and love it. Um, and so that's another conversation, right? Like where are the resources being allocated and those resources are grooming the culture of the, of that area. 
right? Or, or lack of resources are grooming the culture of that area, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the high schools in the, uh, the suburbs here next to Salt Lake City, they're probably never going to have a mountain bike team or, or something close to it. Or, um, and, and, and what's their relation there, right? And so when are they going to be able to, to cross into that world and, and groom it into their own? Um, attached to that point with resources is, um, aside from culture, another, another point to make is, is financial, right? Um, recreating is expensive and, uh, it can take a lot of money to, to invest into. Um, I remember going to, uh, uh, going skiing when I was in the fourth grade, uh, for the first time through, um, the ski program they have here. Um, and, and I remember going home and explaining it to my mom and her not understanding what skiing was and, and me barely understanding what skiing was. Um, and I was using like Spanglish metaphors and hand gestures to kind of explain it. Um, and so she's, she's just like dumbfounded, like what is going on after working a 12 hour shift in a warehouse where she gets paid minimum wage, uh, you know, to, to, to support a family of five. And, um, I remember telling her like, Hey, I have this voucher. I need to go get the skis and the boots tonight. Uh, she's tired and exhausted. We go and get the skis and the boots. Um, I look at her face and I remember this still, cause it impacts me pretty heavily to this day. Um, but I look at her face and she, she has this face of feeling unwelcomed. Now keep in mind, she doesn't speak English and, and, and nobody at this point has said anything to her, but she already feels that she's embodying that she feels unwelcomed. Um, you know, it was the same feeling we would get when we would go into, uh, high-end retail stores or, or fancier restaurants, Mm -hmm. uh, than usual. And I remember lying and being like, okay, the boots fit, even though they were excruciating and, Mm -hmm. and extremely painful on my toes. And, and like, it was a bad pain and I regretted it the next day because my feet were extremely swollen. Um, so we get out of there and we're driving home and my mom looks at me and she's like, so you're going up in the mountains. She's like, it's snowy out there. Um, you don't have like a winter coat or winter pants. And I was like, oh, you're right. Like I, I wore a hoodie during recess most of the time. Mm-hmm. And so she takes me to the closest Kmart and we go in and I just like feel this guilt. Like, I just feel so bad because mm-hmm. we're spending money. She's tired. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I go to the clearest or the the closest uh, clearance rack and I pick this like this two piece winter suit and Mm -hmm. I go home and it ends up being too small. Like my my pants are way too tight. Um, The next day I go, I'm the most uncomfortable I've ever felt. And I'm just like sitting there, like not even enjoying this skiing experience. And everyone around me is just like in a very similar boat. Like people were just like done and over with it. and there's a few kids enjoying themselves, of course, but um, the, the, the instructors who were there to kind of facilitate it all were like, almost like forcing us, like, come on, like, and I look back at it now and I'm like, look at this, like, forcible assimilation, like, look at this, like, not sitting down and getting to know us or understand kind of our situations. Look at this, like, um, display of, of, of just complete, um, you know, complete ignorance and, 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 you know, being naive to the cultures and experiences of other people and expecting Mm -hmm. them to, to respond the same way every other white kid does. Mm -hmm. Right. And 
I remember just bawling on my way home because I was just like in pain and uncomfortable and like my pants had like ripped down the crotch and <laughs> worst experience ever. And, and I'm, I'm like carrying these skis home and I'm just so exhausted and I get home and then um, my mom's just thrilled and she's so excited. And, and I ended up finding out later that she actually um, like used some money that she wasn't expecting to use for that winter coat, you know, all these things that, mm-hmm. that we don't think about, right. As kids, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, she, she, she made some strain there. She, she pushed to, to allow for me to experience that. And finances is a massive thing, right. With, with engaging in the outdoors. And, and that was my overall point with this story is, yeah. you know, we, we don't consider the financial, um, the financial constraints that exist. And, um, aside from the financial constraints, the knowledge, let's, let's talk about knowledge and, and what is what, like, what is this gear and what is needed, right? Um, you know, these outdoor programs reminded, like, like the ski program, when they came and gave us the free rental voucher, I'm like, okay, skis and boots are great. But like, look, my mom had to go in and buy like a winter coat, like the expectation that we had all had a winter coat and pants was, was already thrown on us. Um, the expectation that we could come back the next day and, and return the skis and the boots in a timely manner before their deadline, before they closed, right. uh, or else we'd be charged a late fee. Like that, it was already expected. So th- those are the things that I think many of these industries don't think about. Right. And, and those are the constraints that exist to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then there's transportation, of course, proximity, where are we at and, and how close are these recreational establishments to our homes? And what is transportation look like to these places? Like, does it go directly there? Not only does it go directly there, is it marketed to go there, right? Like, are we prioritizing uh, the marketing and saying, hey, take this one, you know, no stop bus straight to the mountains and you're there. Like, like th- things like that don't exist, right? Like we don't have that here in Utah, um, in Salt Lake City at least. And, and you know, it's, it's difficult to, to kind of, it's difficult to, to go through and make your way through those constraints when the policies and the procedures and everything involved with the interaction and culture doesn't align with, with your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. That's hard. And on top of that, it sounds like I'm hearing like, you know, it's the expectation of assimilation. So yeah. if you can get there, if you can get your winter coat and your boots and your transportation and get to the mountain, you know, and then there's the expectation of assimilating into the dominant culture and how they do things um, on that mountain. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, yeah. That's perfect way to summarize the last 10 minutes of me talking. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Um so I also, of course, you know, the reason I reached out to you is because I read uh, your piece and then subsequently read more, but the piece in particular was about creating a more racially inclusive hiking community. Yeah. Um, and yeah. It was, you kind of broke it down into like five parts of do's and don'ts. Um, and I'm hoping we can touch a little bit about that and the genesis of that piece um, and why it was important to put out there. Yeah, I, you know, this roots back to me elevating voices for people of color, but also bringing forth guidance to allies, right? And, and, and there's a, some intersection between the two at times, depending on the identity of a person. Mm-hmm. Um, but this article was at a point where I started to shift kind of my writing and, and the way of thinking and, and solely providing, um, and it, it goes back to kind of this like 
you know, as writers in, in at Mellon and Base Camp, sometimes it's really easy to, to simply just vent and go off <laughs> about the about the oppression that exists and, and just kind of throw that shameful finger out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was kind of a shift in my writing to start providing uh, solutions. And, and, and I, it was a personal journey for me too to start to see it that way and, and not be as bitter as I was projecting to be. And, and I wanted to start providing the solution-oriented ideas and guidelines for allies uh, white folks and and even communities of color, right? Um, where where much colorism does exist and and racism can definitely intersect there. And so, um, you know, one of the first themes that I identified within that article is to get to know us. Um, you know, truly get to know us. You know, have a conversation with uh, a person of color. Introduce yourself. Um, uh, you know, if you've never interacted with people of color, I, I'm I'm. I, I always get shocked, but I'm not shocked at the same time of people who've never like s- interacted with a person of color and doesn't necessarily understand their culture. It's, it's interesting to me because that was my entire life. Like I was around that. Um, and so do get to know us, um, read about our experiences, right? Like pick up a book and, and read about our experiences, um, follow a person of color on your social media platforms understand their views. That's a, that's a big one that you can do proactively. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be on the trail and you being a weird, uh, you know, hiker running up to a family of color and being like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm so-and-so and, and, and I need to connect with you. Cause this is the most just thing for me to do. Um, you know, it, it takes effort on the back end first, right? It takes effort for an individual to really sit down with their thoughts and, and, and challenge themselves by interacting with these people on different levels, whether it's through social media or in person. Um, you know, the, the next point that I really touch on is not gear shaming. You know, this goes back to the kind of that financial cultural constraints that exist. And, and, um, I was, I I've been gear shamed multiple times. Um, but one, one thing that I bring up in the article is, uh, going with this group of, uh, hikers here in the, uh, on the Wasatch front, who um, they, they bag peaks is what they say, is their terminology. And so they're peak, peak baggers, um, which is such an interesting term for me. No shame for anyone who uses it, but interesting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I remember showing up and getting teased right off the bat for my footwear. And just like, you know, I'm, I'm someone who was, you know, bringing a Jansport backpack to this like hiking group and wearing you know, my workout shoes and, 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 you know, there's, there's a cross between safety and just like, you know, completely shaming someone for their gear. And I was going to be safe. The conditions were fine. You know, we were going on a very uh, minimal slope trail with not much ascent and, and, you know, I would have been fine. And, and there was no slippage or like water um, that was, that was going to put me at risk. And, and so, you know, this, this idea of just like, putting you out there and me being called out is an experience that, you know, I, I talked to many others and, and they can relate to that. And they're like, yeah, oh yeah, I've been gear shamed plenty of times. And mm-hmm. so avoid gear shaming. Like, let's not gear shame. Let's, let's, um, you know, if you, if you are truly and genuinely concerned about someone's uh, safety, like go up to them, talk to them and say, Hey, um, this trail might be a little bit slippery. Like um, let's, 
let's see if there's some boots that we can have you borrow from someone. Let's see if, you know, if you're, what size are you? Like, let's help them out, right? Let's not, let's not call them out in the middle of the group and be like, yeah, your footwear, good luck with that, right? Like, and this goes back to that culture of competitiveness, right? Like, like the outdoor world is, is competitive. We've made it that way. It's, it's been groomed that way since we were playing in recess at recess in elementary school. Right. And, um, you know, let's check ourselves on that. Let's definitely not, not gear shame anymore. The next point that I make in the article is to make an effort to be friendly. Right. Um, this goes a little bit, uh, this one's framed a little bit differently than, than getting to know us. Right. This is just being friendly. Right. If you're, if you're, a um, someone who, um, you know, just wants to go on the hike and not make friends, you're fine with that. Like the least you can do is welcome, right? And say, hey, good morning. How are you? Right. So many times do we see people on trails simply just walk and blaze right past you and, and not say a word. And it's like, mm-hmm. like, where's let's 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 humanize this, right? We're we're all out here enjoying ourselves. And you might be pissed off because there's an overly amount of people that you weren't expecting on the trail and you had a hard time parking, but you know these spaces are for all of us and we should be able to enjoy them. And so let's greet each other. Let's, let's welcome each other and let's say farewell to each other. And, 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 you know, that's just common courtesy, right? Like let's not be blind or, or disregard people on the trail. And, and especially those of, of communities that already feel displaced, right? Those of communities that may be out there for the first time and, and their experience might be negative. If so many people go by them and they're like, Hey, how's it going? And, and someone is just blazing right past them and doesn't say a word like that might create their whole, mm-hmm. uh, conceptualization of, of what the outdoors is. Right. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's yeah. important. And then don't police us or blame us for overcrowding your favorite secret spot on public land. I can't tell you how many times this has happened. Just yeah. kind of hearing it in the parking lot. I, I think I hear it more indirectly in the parking lot than I do directly mm-hmm. to me, but you know, don't, don't police us for, for being in the same place you are. Like it is almost so such a counter active like <laughs> approach to be like, Hey, uh, what are you doing here? And mm-hmm. you're there yourself. Right. It's almost like that. It's almost that analogy of like, uh, when, when people are responding, uh, replying all in emails and then people are like, quit replying all <laughs> and they're replying <laughs> all <to> everyone. Um, <laughs> it's almost that same scenario. Right. right. Um, and so, yeah, like, like don't police us. We, we belong there too. Yeah. We belong there too. If we, if we infringed on your secret spot, like, you know, let's, let's celebrate it together. Let's, let's, mm-hmm. let's climb together. Let's, let's hike together. Um, we're not here to ruin the outdoors. We're, we're here to participate and uh, reconnect with it. Just, just similarly to you have, if, if that's kind of the path you're on. And then, you know, the last, uh, note that I, that I put as a, as, as a takeaway is, uh, practicing common courtesy, um, letting us know of any dangers and letting us know, uh, of, of closures and things like that, you know, just simply practicing these common courtesy based practices is really what we're looking for. Treat us at the same equitable standard of courtesy that you do white folks. That's important. As you're going through this, I'm noticing the theme, like, it seems like you know, you're trying to say in this article, like building a better community (laughs) in the outdoors too, kind of stepping away from the individual and that competitiveness. Um, This is my space and kind of going into a community space. Yeah, you cracked it. You cracked the code. (laughs) 
that, you know, that's, that's what I was going for is kind of this uh, underlying shift and kind of re- if you read between the lines, it's, it's this mm-hmm. uh, shift of thinking of, of being more collective. Let's, let's, okay. let's be more collective. Let's create these collective spaces that are naturally and organically collective. Like let's, 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 let's uh, participate in these spaces as they are and, and their collective spaces. And, you know, there's, there's some individualism attached to uh, reconnection as well and, and reflection and being in these spaces for sure. But when, you know, where we're at right now, we're not in a place where, um, you know, these, these recreational areas are so desolate. Um, and, and this d- depends on regionally, but specifically t- uh, talking about the Wasatch Front, you know, right. there's, there's not many spaces that are so desolate where you're not going to encounter another person, right? And so it's important to understand that we're all utilizing and, and participating and reconnecting in these spaces um, for our own individualistic reasons. And, and that's okay. Uh, but, but let's be uh, respectful. Let's be courteous and let's allow ourselves to immerse ourselves into spaces that we don't really recognize and, and allow us to invite those, those, those unrecognizable faces. Mm-hmm. Thank you, David, for taking this time. Um, before we go, did you have any anything else you felt like following up on this idea of reconnection? Because that was a, a pretty big through line in all of these things that you opined on, this concept of reconnection. Yeah, I, 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 I've attached myself with this idea of reconnection um, with the outdoors because I've started to read and, and throughout, you know, the last um, 10 years, I've read, I've read heavily on um, the oppression and displacement that has existed for Black, Indigenous, and people of color um, in outdoor spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've read heavily on the creation of these uh, outdoor spaces from national parks to, um, you know, uh, wilderness areas and, 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 and forest areas and these designations that exist and, and what they mean on the legal side of things. But, but, you know, if you look at the social, cultural and social political aspect of, of these coming together, uh, so many people like me and, and people before me that looked like me were displaced. And, and I think many times, uh, we think about, hey, this is new to you. This is this is going to be new. Hey, let's go hiking. You've never gone hiking before. Oh my goodness! Like, you live in Utah. How do you not go hiking? How have you not skied? I can't even tell you how many times I've been asked that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really this idea of of us finding ourselves and and rooting ourselves again, like uncovering those roots, right? And and connecting ourselves back with those roots and watering and talking to ourselves and, and, and making ourselves blossom again. And, and that's really what, what it has to, what has to happen. Um, you know, my, my family back in Mexico, they, they would say if you identified and, and defined recreation here in the States, they would say, oh yeah, we've been doing that for, for, you know, since we can, since we were younger, like since we were kids playing in the dirt, uh, walking on, on on paved trails and 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 making our way through these spaces and jumping into water holes and playing around on rivers and it's just a different way and you know it's about finding that reconnection and I think for many people of color in the states in 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 the U.S. 
it's difficult because we're challenging the cultural majority and what exists here. And, and that predominant culture is powerful and they are embodied throughout so much of our history. And then they are embedded deep into the roots of what this country is. And it's hard for us to, to blossom, right? We keep getting, um, we keep getting trampled. We keep getting um, extracted and, and, and displaced, right? Um, and when we try to root ourselves, and I think that's the best imagery to think about it is if we're trees or flowers or wherever we identify ourselves, if we are trying to root ourselves in these spaces and, and say, hey, we belong here too, right? We belong on this mountain. We belong in this river. Uh, we belong on these lakes. Um, continually, the, the discourses that we don't. Like that's, that's what's happening. And, and we need to keep fighting that and, and show that we have a presence in these spaces. We've always had a presence in these spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, just because your, you know, grandfather was a mountain man who pioneered to Utah and, and established a settlement here. And, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, you have a cabin that's really fancy and, you know, up, up by the ski resort for skiing um you know think about that think about those experiences and and what has allowed for you to experience those things before you were here and and we're doing the same we're doing the same and we're asking ourselves like why are we displaced why don't why don't we have cabins up there right why don't we have this closer proximity to these spaces um and why are we over here in a toxic polluted uh food desert suburb and, and, and let's talk about that. Let's have those conversations. David, thank you so much. Where can listeners find your work or follow you? Yeah, so um, you can follow me on Instagram. Um, that is probably the, the, the most popular platform that I use. My uh, username is Trail Turista. It's, it basically stands for uh, uh, Trail Tourist. Uh, or tourist of the trails, I guess, if you were to phonetically say it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's T-R-A-I-L. And then Turista is the Spanish version of tourist. So T-U-R-I-S-T-A. Please, please uh, subscribe to Melanin Basecamp's website and web pages. Um, and you can receive updates on when articles are posted. I'm actually working on a really exciting one right now. Um, so stay tuned. And uh, yeah, we, we hope to see you all out there because that's what it's meant to be, right? Thank you so much. And I really appreciate it. I know it takes a lot to, you know, share on all of these issues. So we really acknowledge that and and appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for uh, elevating uh, my voice, which, you know, um, I'm carrying other voices, as I as I mentioned in in this conversation is, is, you know, what I'm what I'm saying right now, I've learned from others. And so it's important to acknowledge that and hopefully we can keep the pressure. Hopefully we can keep learning and hopefully our voices are heard. That's writer and educator David Robles in conversation. Like he mentioned, you can find more of his work at melaninbasecamp.com and follow him on Instagram at trail You'll be able to find this conversation on our website later this week at kzmu.org. I'm Molly Marcello, and you've been listening to This Week in Moab on your community radio station, KZMU.